This is episode 37 of Life with Catherine. My guest is Special K, who I have known for about three years. He likes science and Doctor Who, so we are definitely friends. Um, We cover a few topics. We had also planned to get into esoteric geometry as well, but we ran out of time, so we'll have to cover that another day. This is usually the part where I say, here we go. But this week, as a thank you to Special K, we're going different. Allons-y, Alonzo. This is life with Catherine, sharing stories from my heart with a smile, and I'll even sing once in a while. Together, we'll learn more about the people who inspire me. Come along, Pond. Okay, welcome to the show. This is Life with Catherine. Uh, I invited my friend to come on the show and talk about a few topics. Anthropology, archaeology, and esoteric geometry. My recent obsession with science, it comes out with most of the conversations I have recently. I literally am absorbing absolutely everything I can, and I was talking with this person, and I literally was just so interested in all these topics and just the general idea. However, the episode of the general idea of anthropology is so broad and vague that it literally melts my brain. So we're going to start with step one, which is um, explaining to me what is anthropology. Oh, also, welcome to the show. The, uh, Special K is here. Special K is here. <laughs> and so why don't you explain who you are, maybe in a few sentences, and then... What is anthropology, and then what drew you to it? Well, as Catherine said, I'm Special K, and uh, (laughs) that was the name that was given to me in the Army. Since in the Army I was a specialist, and my name starts with K, hence the whole Special K thing. And I'm European, to say the least, a little bit of French, a little bit of Swiss, a little bit of Irish, a little bit of everything. I've been in Canada for 10 years, and I started my studies in anthropology when I was 26, which is old, which is like 10 years older than normal people. Um, What always drew me to to anthropology was the historical side of it. My dad is a huge history buff. He is uh, a huge collector of historical items. I grew up watching war movies from the 60s, of course. Uh, <laughs> all the, um, you know, Longest Day and all the uh, John Wayne stuff, all the, uh, you know, the good old English and American movies and French movies from the 60s, war movies, and that always got me uh, curious, and I have a huge curiosity, so every movie that I would watch, I would try to get more information, I would try to get books, uh, you know, websites didn't exist at the time, so my dad had had a huge library that we would just pilfer, and um, I would constantly try to find out more about uh, the historical inaccuracies of these (laughs) movies, mostly, and I think like most people who get into history and or archaeology, anthropology, are people who have an innate sense of, um, well, an interest in humans, it's the human factor. That's hilarious, uh, because we're in the hallway, and I was talking, and he's like, 
you know, anthropology is the study of humanity, yeah. and that's right up your alley. And I don't know why I completely dismissed the whole genre, mm -hmm. genre, whatever it is. I'm like, the whole science, the whole <laughs> chapter. I'm like, I guess that's not interesting to me, but literally it is the study of humanity. Yeah, it, it's, it's a very, very broad topic. So when it comes to anthropology, what attracted to me was the archaeological concepts and more sort of the military historical um, concept of archaeology, which I studied for about um, four years here in Vancouver when I started, and then I realized it was completely useless because we live on the West Coast, and there ain't that much to do when it comes to archaeology. Actual literal work. Actual literal work, and the work itself is boring, and that's what people don't understand when you watch a... Um, when you watch a, 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 you know, a sort of a History Channel documentary or National Geographic documentary, you know you see the results. You see the people going to Egypt, going through the pyramids, uh, Indiana Jones type stuff. You don't in a montage. See, in a montage, <laughs> yeah, and it's all in a montage because you don't actually get to see the ninety percent of the work, which is actually students sifting through metric tons of dust and cataloging and cataloging and uh, you know labeling stuff and finding tiny little sherds of. Sherds of pottery, actually shards, we call them sherds, uh, of pottery and getting all excited about a tiny, tiny bone and things like that. So that's, you know, hundreds of hours and budget and, uh, you know, a whole lot of logistics behind something that when you watch it on a history uh, channel documentary, you're thinking that's the coolest thing with music and everything, but it's actually extraordinarily boring. So I always focused on the, uh, the research side, the research, the writing, the communicating, um, I was published in three different conferences here in Vancouver on different topics. So I just like the um, keeping my hands clean desk style <laughs> of archaeology, letting the students do all the hard work. <laughs> but it's, um, it's really interesting. So my um, specialty, if you call it that, would be underwater maritime archaeology, so shipwrecks. And I love ships. I love military ships. And I'm sort of tying, tying everything together. Yeah. So anthropology really is a... Uh, very, very broad subject because it encompasses um, socio-cultural anthropology, biological anthropology, archaeology, sociology, you know, all things that concern humans. So you can't really say that you like anthropology as a whole because there's so many sub-disciplines within that. There's always something that will draw you, that, that you're more interested in, that, that will draw you towards that's like literally the vaguest word in the world. It is extremely vague. It doesn't. It does. It means everything and nothing at the same time. Anthropology means nothing. It's, it's you know it's things that relate to humans in general, and then there are subcategories. Now in Europe and America, these uh, subcategories are different. In Europe, anthropology, let's say archaeology, for example, is more of a socio-cultural historical sure. um, discipline, and it's a discipline in itself. Whereas in America or, the, or North America, since Louis, Louis Binford in the seventies. Um, it's, it's a scientific discipline, so it, it does involve a lot of chemistry, a lot of research, a lot of, which is fantastic. So, you know, everything sort of uh, correlates itself. Um, but, yeah, so the discipline is actually studied in, in different ways, and it depends how the approach is. What drew me to archaeology? Um, I just, I love the objects. I love the objects. I love studying the objects. I love, um, you know, touching them, feeling them. Uh, but especially, it's more of the cognitive sense. It's you know, objects instead of something just on paper. Yeah, it's, it's, a, actual, it's an real actual life. real thing. It's like when you have an actual object or a feature that you're looking at, or a, you know, a wall or a monument or, or something you can touch and feel, you know that human hands made this object, and there's a spatial relationship, and why is it placed here rather than there? And 
you know, right. when, yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's a whole, there's a whole, you know, whole thing about that. And then, but when you, you know, when you touch these these stones, and you, you you know that there were hands behind those objects, and you know that there's a mind behind the hands behind the objects, and the mind is something that I, you know, more interested in the cognitive sense. You know, the patterns of thought, the people. So by studying the object, you can study the hands. By studying the hands, you can study the mind. If that makes any sense, you can sort of, you know, and that's the point, is to understand culture, understand mm -hmm. psychology, understand sociology, history of, of people on an everyday, on an everyday basis. Like, yeah. this is who they were. Let's take a yeah. bowl. Yeah, like a this bowl. is who they were mm -hmm. at the time. This is uh, what the resources they had. Yeah, yeah. This is the knowledge base they had based on communication. We're talking about archaeology of the past. Yeah, yeah, yeah the primitive nature of not being able to share information, which didn't even come about until language happened. Yeah, pretty much, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, there was different ways of communicating. I mean, we've been, uh, from a biological, anthropological point of view, um, uh, biological anthropology is a study of humans and pre-humans, uh, pre-human primates. So, uh, Australopithecine afarensis has been around for about two million, since, you know, about two million years ago, and then the whole sort of biological evolution. So, there must have been some communication, you know, from going back, let's say, two million years ago. It's very vague, but language appeared, you know, about the same time as Homo sapiens sapien, around 200,000 years ago, approximately. Now, that's, you know, of course, debatable. Uh, you know, a lot of actual anthropologists... Do your own report on it. Do your own report. <laughs> a lot of anthropologists would probably kick my butt. Um, but, yeah, so, you know, the communication is, is a very complex thing also, and that's where it goes into linguistic anthropology, which also not only covers languages, um, but also any forms of communication of pre-human primates. Um, so it's very, very broad and very, very interesting for sure. Yeah, definitely. Man. Did you ever consider a career in it? I did when I was studying, and then I found out how much it paid. And I was like, <laughs> no. <laughs> no, I'm earning more in the administrative field as I ever would as an archaeologist. And I'm fascinated. So I read, I do read, I do research. I, you know, I, I keep in contact with my old uh, alumni, with my old professors. Um, you know, I do the odd um, the odd lecture from time to time, so I am you know I'm pretty much still in the loop. Um, but as far as from a professional point of view, I'm possibly in the future. I'm not mm. too sure. I, I do have a big interest in it. Yes, so I'm constantly researching. So tell me about one of the things like when you were studying it, something like, like one ship, one project, well, one thing that like literally yeah. stood out to you that you were like, yeah. there's a, a very and one of those. Come on, yeah, wow. yeah, it was. Yeah, well, I'm going to wow you with this one. I'm going to wow you with this one because it was a ship. Um, it was a, a late 16th century Spanish galleon uh, which sunk off the coast, uh, the Cayman Islands. I think it was Grand Cayman. And Field trip. Between. We're going to the Cayman Islands to check Field it out. Field trip. Going. It's already been checked out. It's already been excavated. <laughs> oh, rats. Um, I can't remember the name of the ship. Um, it's, it's a long time ago. Mm -hmm. yeah, and I wasn't even in the field at the time, but that actually got me into it. And going through, so I'd met some of the underwater archaeologists and researchers who'd actually worked on the excavation. Uh, they'd cool. been, um, yeah, yeah, they'd been actually developing new techniques for, you know, diving, uh, because, you know, diving is a discipline in its own, and archaeology is a discipline, and you have to put both at the same time. So it's not exactly diving, it's not exactly archaeology, it's a very delicate balance of both, so the mm -hmm. techniques are very different, etc. Basically, you know, I was going through a collection of the artifacts that were brought up. You know, it's one of those treasure galleons. There was no treasure, unfortunately, but it was a Boys in their treasure chest. No, no treasure <laughs> chest. But they did found human remains, uh, so skeletons, yeah. a, few, a, few, a few guys, um, breastplates, armor, helmets, um, a few crosses, you know, religious items, 
uh, quite a lot of metallics and cannon. So it's a quite a, very, a lot of a lot of interesting stuff that, um, that came out. But um, sorry, our friend is the, just waving to us. Sorry, <laughs> she was very distracted. Um, one of the objects that came up was found on a an officer, and you know, from the remains that we found, you know, the way that the guy was dressed, and he was also in the cabin. Uh, in one of the officers' cabins at the uh, at the uh, back of the ship, at the stern, and it was a ring, and it was a gold ring, uh, but it was custom made. It wasn't something that was uh, that was you know sort of very common, and basically it was a woman's ring, and it was found on this guy's finger, right? Like uh, well, the skeletal remains of mm -hmm. this guy's finger, um, and it was a gold band uh, with a, a gold heart that was uh, sort of overlaid, like it was an actual, it wasn't engraved, I mean there was an inscription, um, but it was uh, sort of a gold band with a gold heart that was set on the ring itself. And the inscription in Old Spanish was non puedo te darle más, which means I cannot give you more with the heart, I cannot give you more than my heart. Oh. I'm a romantic, and, that's amazing. Well, yeah, so oh. the thing is, okay. just one object can tell you this whole story. Like, we know from the analysis of the jewel itself that this is a custom-made ring. It is a, it's a woman's jewel. I mean, it's not something a man, you know, as a burly Spanish sailor officer would, would wear in the 16th century. Um, you know, it is a personal object. So it's, it's easy to assume the story behind it. This is a gift that was given to him by a lover, a wife, a girlfriend, and uh, before the voyage, and uh, the guy never came home. So, uh, yeah, he never came home. So, uh, you, you know, you, you can, you, you know, just, just, it's just a simple, simple object. And, but just by analyzing this object, it, it really gives you a whole story behind it. And we can, you know, without being 100% sure, we can very safely assume that this was a gift given to him by a woman, so most probably a lover or wife, because of the inscription, I cannot give you more than my heart, and, you know, before he left, uh, hoping to see him back in a few years, and he never came home. And when you see the object, and when you, you well, I didn't hold it, because no one could really hold it, but, mm -hmm. you know, you're very close to the object, and you know that this object, you know, went from hand to hand, it, it, it's charged with emotion, it's charged with, uh, it, it's, it's just charged with spirit. This is something that was commissioned, that a lady in Spain in the Yeah, you don't get custom-made no, stuff she for... went to a jeweler, she ordered this, she gave it to her lover, she kissed him goodbye, and she never saw him again. Uh, it's just a simple, simple little object, and it was tiny. I mean, it was tiny, it was, mm. it was a ring, you know, it's just the size of a ring. And um, the ship sank during a storm. All hands were lost, uh, and uh, you know she probably found out at some point that no, the Nuestra um, Señora de Concepción. I think it was uh, Our Lady of the Concepción. I'm not too sure the name, but the ship, you know, the ship was lost with all hands, and uh, she must have known at some point that she would never see him again. So that simple object really tells that whole sort of heartbreaking, true story, and it's a true story because the object is there. It was yeah. found on on someone's remains. So, That's um, one piece of one story of all of those people's story, stories yeah, yeah. that were part of that one ship at that one moment in yeah, time. Yeah, yeah that, that, gave, that gave me goosebumps when I saw it. It gave me goosebumps when I saw the inscription when, you know, the, the, uh, the archaeologist told me about the inscription, what it meant, and it was just like, yeah, we, we know what this means. This is a personal gift. This is not um, government-issued. It's um, 
So it's it's just it's just tiny things like that. Also, another thing that I found interesting was the um, Roman graffiti in um, in uh, Egypt. So uh, if there are certain sites in Egypt and temples, and when the Romans invaded Egypt, uh, they <laughs> desecrated quite a lot of stuff, and that included writing graffiti in the wall. So there's a lot of insults. Uh, <laughs> a lot <laughs> of you know, Maximus was here, and uh, or Decius. <laughs> Maximus was oh yeah, here. yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no. There was, some, there was one. There was just like a, Tiberius owes me ten sesterces or something. Like this is these guys, like you know, it's and they're grammar mistakes and they're spelling yeah. mistakes because these are you know they're soldiers. Yeah, they're, they're not. They're young soldiers in a foreign country and they've got daggers and knives and they're just engraving stuff in the walls and um, they're desecrating <laughs> all never the uh, no no all the hieroglyphs are desecrated and the pictures of the Egyptians from the side of the thing and they're drawing massive penises on them and uh, uh, yeah I mean yeah you know, some so, things never change. But there's no but that's that's the point. There's a link. There's a very strong when you when you look at if you want to look if you want to know what a Roman or an ancient Greek or an ancient Egyptian look like just look around you look around you the people you see whatever color they might be whatever color hair whatever color eyes these are what Greeks Romans Egyptians uh, Assyrians Babylonians look like okay we look like them we laugh like them we cry like them we sleep we eat we drink we have sex like them um, the jokes are more fairly much the same, and I mean, there's a lot of cultural differences, and things mm-hmm. change over, you know, the years. What we find funny, etc. But you know, it's it's a very, you know, when you're standing there, and when you when you see them, you know, you're standing on the very same spot of some Roman legionary, you know, mm-hmm. with a big smile on his face, carving penises in uh, religious <laughs> and making jokes with his and friends, making jokes and with his friends, and it's a diff- it's a side it's a side of history that you don't see. You don't see that. You are now, like, you know, in the, in the 2000s, we're beginning to show um, different TV shows through HBO and things like that, that that are more about the human side. So there's a lot more sort of violence and sex in them, but it is more realistic. Uh, there's a lot more swearing than there was. I saw Cleopatra with uh, Richard Burton and Elizabeth Taylor. Yes. And, you know, the way that they talk in the movie, like, no one talks like yeah, that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no one talks. This show doesn't have to be rated G either. No, 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 no. one talked like that in Egypt, in Rome. I mean, people, yeah. you know, didn't even speak Latin. They spoke some sort of pig Latin. Uh, officers and, and hierarchy and aristocrats spoke Greek because Greek was the language to be spoken. Um, and there was a lot of insults and grammatical mistakes, just the way we speak today. Like we swear a lot, we make a lot of jokes and things like that. Shorthand, not shorthand. shorthand. Um, well, it's sort of. Uh, what's it called? Um, oh crap! Common speech, yeah. Like just, um, slang. Slang, yeah. There's oh. a lot of slang, you know, and a lot of swearing. So um, today we're going more towards documentaries that are more realistic and therefore a little more gritty and a little more down to earth. Um, you know, compared to back in the day. I mean, most of us who are in our 30s, 40s, and 50s and more. We sort of grew up watching movies from the 60s, which are hugely historically inaccurate. Now, amazing movies. I mean, I love Ben-Hur. I love mm-hmm. Cleopatra. You know, I just love these movies as movies. You know, the whole Hollywood um, sort of MGM, everything sort of uh, made the way it was. But, you know, from a historical point of view, it's, it's not really a, um, a serious document, right? So you have to know the difference. And it's so it is, it is, but it's too hard. Like, when you grow up, Watching these movies, it's very difficult accepting reality. And when you start studying the documents, and you start looking at the artifacts, and you start going into and realizing that, yeah, not only were these people not very far away from us, how we are now, but also the movies kind of, you know, they, you know, this kind of business, right? A movie is a business and it's an art form. Mm-hmm. So, as an art form, um, it's up to interpretation and to development. And as a business, it's made to make money and to please, you know, the viewers. So, um, 
Yeah, it, I was always pointing out historical accuracies in movies until someone fairly recently told me, you know, there are movies out there that are very historically accurate. They're called documentaries. Mm. So stop bitching about movies and just watch a documentary. A movie is an art form. And, and then I felt, and it made a, it made a click it in my head. In it clicked in my head, and I was like, well, that's very true. I said, when I'm watching a movie, whether it's Gladiator or, you know, or the new Fury movie, Brad Pitt, you know, just watch it as a movie with an open mind. Enjoy the movie. And if you want to learn more, then go on the internet, go on the books, watch a documentary, look into it, and then you can make your own comparison. But nitpicking movies is something I don't do anymore. Hmm. I'm much more so. Yeah. But also, it is being presented as factual... Or it's yeah. into the general yeah, normal that's, that's society, it too. can yeah. be. So yeah. the critical yeah. thinking is what comes in, which is what the point is of this show, is the idea of presenting to the next generation mm. critical thinking, uh, looking at something and going, okay, well, you have mm. understood and clicked in your brain yeah. that this is the way it is. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. not always is that the case. Sometimes no, no, no. people take Gladiator as actual fact, and that's up to them to arm themselves with more. That's absolutely the case. I'm not saying it's a bad thing. On the contrary, I mean, I love movies anyway. Like, I love mm -hmm. movies pretty much more than I love history, I guess, which is I'm trying to marry both. But that's exactly the case. Like, it doesn't matter. You know, I'm not... And when I say nitpicking, I'm not going to look at, you know, the buttons on each uniform <laughs> and say, oh, that was the wrong time. That's the wrong regimental badge. That's, yeah. You know, it doesn't really matter. It's something you learned. It's something, you know, something, you know, things like that. But it's more... You know, as you said, if you watch the movie and you enjoy the movie, it does kind of make you want to learn more. And learning is the point. That's what we. That's what you want to do. That's what you have to do. You have to go on, you know, websites, books, conferences, etc., and learn more about it because that particular movie gave you an interest in that particular field or era or period of time. Um, so that's whether the movie is good or bad or historically accurate. I have an exception to that. Braveheart. God, I hate Braveheart. <laughs> God, I hate Braveheart. I can see that in your face. <laughs> My face just dropped. Braveheart is such a pile of absolute dung. <laughs> it is Oscar-nominated, my ass. It is, it is horrific. It's, it's, it's just okay, I'm going to go back and watch it and just From kind of picture you going... And, oh, it makes me cringe. I mean, the only thing that's worthy in the movie is the music mm -hmm. is nice. It's wonderful music. <laughs> the rest is like... I mean, every cliche is just hit square on the head. Every single faux pas, every, like, historical inaccuracy, it's, it's horrible. <laughs> in down to Queen Isabel, who was the um, wife of Edward's son. She was five years old at the time. So it would be hard for William Wallace to actually have an affair with her. Uh, so he took many liberties. Yeah. And Sophie Marceau. I love Sophie Marceau. Everybody loves Sophie Marceau. She's beautiful. She's brilliant. But, uh, Is that the actor? Uh, that's the actress. Yes, the actress. Yeah, the actress. Yeah, the actress. Uh, and um, you know, from a historical point of view, it's an absolute mess. And even as an art form, I didn't particularly <laughs> like it. I feel like he was a bit... Uh, so yeah, with the only exception of Braveheart, I don't <laughs> nitpick movies <laughs> anymore. I don't do that anymore except for Braveheart, which I can't watch. Um, but yeah, that's about it. Excellent. Mm. Okay, so we covered a ton of stuff. We did. I talk a lot. I noticed. We covered quite a bit of stuff. Not this? Okay. So, 
I think that's actually good for today. All right. Do you mind? Not at all. I think like that's a a full picture and chapter for what I was looking for. Mm -hmm. I think the idea of, oh, what was it I said? Oh, you know what I was watching last night was a documentary on BBC Earth, shockingly. Mm. That's all I do with my time right now. (laughs) Um, The idea of Western cultures, it really hit me watching this, Mm. how spoiled we are with knowledge and resources. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was incredible. Like these people were like, I gotta stop saying like, we're. We live in a very affluent, spoiled place. Yes. Some people's lives are completely not small. That's. Uh, yeah, no, no, just different. Yeah, just different, but like different. everything available to them, like we can literally walk over to the computer, Google something, mm-hmm. order it, done. But the idea of what if you had to survive in a place where there was nothing around? Like we, what I mean is, we have the um, ability to compound knowledge, to be able to go off the backs of all that knowledge other people mm-hmm. did. Well, what if you didn't have that and you had to? So I was just like, it really hit me the idea of how lucky we are. Yeah, no, we are extraordinarily lucky. Um, coming back to the concept of our civilization and other civilizations that you know can be considered to be less fortunate, it's uh, it's very complex. Um, we, you know, but again, again, in archaeology and in general anthropology, you study history, which is you know the evolution of humans and civilizations throughout the ages and. You know, every civilization at some point started off with literally nothing. <laughs> they were mm-hmm. only bare hands, and you look at what people have done with their bare hands and the things they have built. Um, the reality is a lot more grim, uh, in the sense that your life does not matter. The civilization, our civilization, does not matter. We have, they don't have. It, it is reversal of situation, maybe in the past, in the future. The universe will keep spinning whether you're here or not, whether our civilizations thrive or whether we're just destroyed in a third world. It just war. is. It just is. Um, you know, we might lose all of this tomorrow and go back to sticks and stones. Um, what would happen after then? I mean, we've, we've been at sticks and stones for the longest time, for you know, hundreds of thousands of years. We've been at sticks and stones. But, um, you know, we just can't predict the future or analyze the past based on that. So. Mm-hmm. The reality is just that whether you're here or there, it, it really doesn't matter that much in terms of the universal concept. And that's what really archaeology opens your eyes to. It's these people, you know, I've seen so many people live and die through history, through archaeology, through the study of these artifacts and history. You see these people born, live, and die. And, you know, uh, there's a lot of infant mortality. So you have, like, children who die. And it, mm-hmm. You know, it doesn't matter because it's, today it's a thousand years later. But it, it does matter because it yeah. mattered to someone. It mattered to someone at some point in history, and at some point you bear that, you take that on your shoulders. There's a human bit. side to it all. There's a human side to it all, and you see, you know, you hear these, these stories, and you know that's, it's the human condition. That's what it is. That's what anthropology is to me, personally, right? It's the study of the human condition, like what we go through as humans, and that's a lot of psychology and a lot of physical analysis of objects and mixing everything together, and it's a... It's a never-ending study. It's not something that you can study and then finish. It's, yeah. it's, it's like biological evolutions, all type of evolution. It's an ongoing river that, that just turns and meanders and never, never ends, which is fascinating, which yeah. is why I like it. But it's quite grim sometimes. The other it's thing I grim. made a note of last night was it like just made me laugh, the idea of humans, how mm. completely ridiculous we can be. Yeah. Because it was like anytime any society sets up a culture, 
automatically there's a subculture. Oh yeah, well subcultures, <laughs> yeah. Like, um, it like I, automatically happens. Uh, don't get me started like, on subcultures. We don't have time. Okay, uh, I don't like subcultures. But it's just I actually funny. minored in cultural anthropology and subcultures. You know, again, it all comes down to the identity crisis, and the identity crisis starts with you as an individual, and where do you fit in within yourself? Then where do you fit in within your immediate family? And then where do you fit in within the second circle, which are close friends mm -hmm. and, and, and displaced families? And then where do you fit in within your little town, and then your society, and then your country, and your, and then your universe? I'll give you a report. I'll give you a report. <laughs> um, it's complicated because we have this craving, which is a biological craving, uh, to stick together. Like we, we as humans. We don't have any real, uh, how do you say, defensive capabilities, neither do we have any offensive capabilities. So two million years ago, if you take afferents, uh, the Australopithecine, Africanus afferensis, uh, or Homo habilis, Homo sapiens, and the evolution of all these different creatures that cohabitated and evolved, um, we as primates and as apes survived, and still survive today, believe it or not, by sticking together. That is a genetic thing. We have no claws or fangs to, you know, to kill lions or tigers. Uh, we don't have any exoskeletons. Our skeletons are inside our bodies, which is useless. I mean, all our internal organs are a small layer of fat away. Mm -hmm. um, the only way that we have survived and that we still continue to survive is by using our collective intelligence and by sticking together, and that sometimes can be hard to accept, which Hence, the desire and the craving for people to stick together in bizarre and unusual ways or whatever they feel comfortable, which is fine. However, that does create conflict between subcultures, between cultures, between nations, between religions and traditions and God name it. But, you know, um, I just kept thinking humans. Humans, right? So predictable. Anytime there's a culture, there's a subculture. Uh, it's so predictable. And, there's and always yeah. somebody. And I'm not. A, and there's so many yeah. subcultures. I'm not a big fan of subcultures. Yeah. It just means the more you are ingrained in your own personal identity research, the weaker you really are compared to the rest of the world and to other humans. It is a sign of weakness to actually retreat, between, you know, behind one wall and then go deeper behind all these different walls between from patriotism to the way you dress and identify yourself. And there's nothing wrong with that. No, there's no. nothing intrinsically wrong with that. I'm saying it's a sign of weakness, not in a bad way. I'm just saying it's a it's a it's a it's a pattern of thought. Societal. Yeah, it's sort of it's a tunnel pattern of thought. Um, I do not consider myself to be part of any culture because uh, I have three national I was born with three nationalities, so that's already, you know, it's it's a you know birth thing to start with. But uh, I don't identify with any culture. That's why I consider myself to be a true citizen of the world. I know it's cliche. Um, but the study of all the other cultures, um, you know, opens your mind to, to other things. So there's, there's so much more I'm missing. The kitchen, we got people clanging on and stuff. I'm sorry, continue. <laughs> no, 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 not at all. Um, that was literally the <laughs> loudest they could have been. That just really just resounded right through. I'm sorry what you're doing. No, no, about. not at all, not at all. Subcultures. Subcultures, yes. Um, so I don't, I don't really view subcultures um, extremely favorably, which is not a very nice thing to say. No. It's just... It's just an observation. It's a Settle down, yes, everyone. It's, a, it's an observation. It's a manifestation of, of a form of tunnel vision, and that if you see other humans in other countries and other continents, you know you may be less attached to your tiny subculture. You might, you might uh, deviate from that. You might open yourself up a little more. So, as long as much as there's nothing apps, there's nothing intrinsically wrong at all with subcultures and identifying with a particular culture or uh, or nation, etc. 
you know, looking over your shoulder to the other person is always advantageous in any situation. So that's what I would just recommend. It's just cool. a simple recommendation. Well, that's yeah. it. That's it. Thanks um, for coming. Thank you for having me. How's that? You're good to go? Yeah, I'm How completely you? blank. You're blank? I'm blank. <laughs> <laughs> okay, bye. <laughs>